Alright, we're live. Right on. So yeah, how was your day? Uh, kinda busy. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, it was like, not the kind of busy I prefer, you know, cause it's like, kinda scrambling. Ah, uh, what happened? What do you have to scramble to do? Uh, like, uh, started off with a meeting. You know, the meeting was fine. Talked about, uh... What they got to bring up? Uh... Fuck it, I can't remember. But, uh... After that, went to, uh, you know, tried to go to CVS at the one place. It was closed, so my peer support couldn't get his meds. Then we went to go to the CVS downtown. Well, I stopped at Dollar Tree after the CVS. But, uh, they didn't have any fucking ramen noodles at Dollar Tree. Damn. Man, I was looking for that. I guess all the prisoners bought them up. Yeah, all the poor people bought them up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Damn. Couldn't get the delicacy of ramen. Yeah, it was weird. Whoa. So that's gotta suck. Yeah, because so I was... Uh, so then... Went downtown to the CBS downtown. Luckily, they had ramen, but the fucking milk and cereal was so damn expensive, I didn't get any. And they only had one kind of ramen, which was chicken, and that's lame. Oh, okay. But I got a couple packs of that. Mm -hmm. So now I should be able to make my food last until the first. Right on, right on. Cause when in doubt, rhyming it out. Oh, no, I try never to do that again. That just <laughs> reminds me of uh, the times at the hemp office when uh, the head dude was gone and the other people that were working there were tweaking. <laughs> <laughs> we had to eat mostly ramen that year. <laughs> that sounds fucked up. It was. The tweakers were bugging the shit out of me at that point. Yeah, just too much ramen. That's a bad thing. Yeah, tell me about it. Like, at that point, I'm like, okay, when 98, when, when Jack was, was out, I'm like, I'm buying food for the place. I mean, I don't care what, they, what, you, what she's saying we have or whatever. I'm getting some extra money. I'm going to go buy food for the fucking place so we don't have to to live on ramen. <laughs> <laughs> like a bunch of broke-ass college students. We are, man. Shit. We're that way all the time, man. Shit. It's the truth. Yeah, so then I got my meds, which were... For some reason, they want me to get my fucking shot at the CVS now. Okay. But they want me to... Yeah, but they want me to bring it to the fucking 
Access Hospital to actually have the shot shot in my ass. <laughs> okay, so you buy the shot at CVS and then you bring it to them at this weird hospital. Yeah, it's weird. Okay. More confusion. Yeah, so uh, basically after that went got my shot talked to my mental health doctor then I went home yeah went home after that uh, sat back for a few hours uh, what did I eat when I came home uh, hot dogs yeah some cheddar jalapeno bar brats and uh, some cheese hot dogs like two of each okay so that was dandy and then did the uh, zoom meeting which was mildly eventful because we were talking about triggers and then one of the guys was you know like fuck it basically he's like they're trying to get you to be Christians like you know I, at the end of the fucking thing I just let him say it for a while but then at the end I had to correct him cause I'm like it doesn't actually say you have to believe in God so I had to just correct him <laughs> cause that's literally one of the I can't remember if it's a tradition or a step but it says the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking so that's the only requirement okay and then he's thinking that you know AA is a religious program and I'm like it's not a religious program it's a spiritual program but it's not religious well it's similar (laughs) it's similar but it's not the same thing Okay, I don't know. It just seems very similar. Like there's a lot of, a lot of things you have to believe in order to go along with it. I think. So I wouldn't make it in that because I don't believe in half of that shit that you guys talk about. Well, you know, just like how like you don't have to have a higher power. It's just recommended. Yeah. So it's like whatever keeps you sober, because that's actually one of the things that. A guy early in AA history, I don't remember what his name was, but they had basically, you know, he was an atheist, and he refused to believe in God whatsoever, but he stayed sober for a long time. And the other AA guys kind of wanted him to leave, but he wouldn't leave. So then, basically, he said, uh... You know, you guys came up with that rule. You know, the only requirement is a desire to stop drinking. Like, was that a lie? Like, were you guys bullshitting or were you being serious? So then they realized that he had him in a catch-22. Like, that was the rule that they came up with. So they eventually said, you know, you don't have to believe in God in order to be a part of the program. Well, in the 80s, there was a group called Sober or Secular Sobriety, I remember. They, I hear their advertisements and shit. But, uh, yeah, there are a true. lot of offshoots, you know, celebrate recovery, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, even Anna is a offshoot. Oh. And then there's a uh, We Agnostics. Oh. What else have I heard of? Uh, you know, faith-based ones. There are a lot of different faith-based ones, but. Oh. Yeah, there's a lot of them. So, I saw one was Marijuana Anonymous. Like one of them yeah, yeah. <laughs> today. I was like, I've never even heard of that. Oh yeah, and I heard of them because most people I hang out with, we just smoked weed. So like, a lot of my friends, when they get fucked with by the cops, would join that shit. And uh, it was funny. Yeah, I just saw that um, as an online meeting. I was like, huh, I don't think I'm ever gonna go in there, but yeah, it's cool uh, to know it exists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, fucking, uh, started watching, uh, The Boys some more, and then I watched, uh, this new show called God's Favorite Idiot, which I guess is like a comedy about a prophet and shit like that, so that was pretty interesting. Alright, Al. But yeah, he's all into, like, like the prophet dude is into this chick that likes doing drugs, so... I'm interested to see where this show's gonna go. Okay. That's a trip. Yeah, but, you know, I ate some Salisbury steak when you were calling, so, you know, that was my day. Alright, Alright, Well, my day... It's woke up, and I've been just hanging out here, just, you know... Trying to hoping that the sun would kill me because it was a really hot day. Good, nice hot day though. That's the day I was hoping the sun would kill me, you know. But uh, I'm still alive, unfortunately. But uh, it was. Uh, yeah, if you want the sun to kill you, you kind of gotta not drink water or anything yeah, yeah, else. Yeah, I know. I didn't, but when you called, is when I lost it. <laughs> when you called, I was like, okay, fuck it. My flesh is too thirsty. I gotta fucking get something to drink with whatever the last of my money is, so I just came in and plunked down everything I had, which was too much, but that's good, because at least it's like, I'm showing that I'm making the desire to pay with whatever money I got, and if I pay them too much, then at least I'm trying, and they can't say I'm just, like, leeching off them and shit, so, huh? I got, yeah, <laughs> you know, I, like, come into a place, I give them more money than what it costs because I don't really know how much money it is and I like it's too frustrating to count and I'm just like plunking everything I got down on the damn table so they're like, okay, that's enough money here. We'll get you the drink. <laughs> and you know, usually then I get more more change than I probably would have gotten if I hadn't done that. But that's like me showing that I'm honest and I'm trying to you know pay with the money I got and you know, being cool. You know, and I'm not leeching off them and shit. I see, so it's reverse psychology. Yeah, and it works good. So I got lemonade that I wanted, and water, and another refill of water, and they wanted something on a ginger burger and fries, which would be so much now.
something like a block away from where I'm staying, it's like I should try to show up just to, you know, even though it's a bunch of lonely fucking losers like myself wanting to, you know, probably most of us wanting to get stoned and listen to music and shit, but I don't know. Might be a good scene. So, see how that goes, but I'm thinking, I'm thinking I might try to show up to this. I gotta figure out where this bar is at, but I don't know. I'll try to try to ask for help, I guess, or figure out how I'm gonna get there. What the hell? Maybe just go in a different area where I'm not usually at. Maybe it'll be better for me. Maybe it won't be. I don't know. Hmm. But what the hell? I don't know. So, and then this other dude, most likely, so like nobody's around here. So this is a fucked up scene. Just lately, it just seems like a fucked up scene. It's just, so mostly it's this dude, this weird dude who's like fighting his own race war. I don't know, like he's talking to a, a invisible black people that he's pissed off at or something. Sounds strange. pretty weird. Oh yeah, it's, it's funny as hell. Dude must have been to San Francisco at some point because he uses all the same slang terms they use for when the cops are showing up. But that was, weird. that was also what was happening when you call. Like, you call, and I get this sudden, like, heavy cotton mouths. And it's like, I gotta drink something. I'm fucking, my flesh is too thirsty. I gotta fucking drink something. And so I run into the place, and right when I'm walking into the place, the cops show up, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna escape this bullshit. It's like a bad scene's about ready to happen. I don't want to be in on it. So <laughs> walk in the restaurant, get my munchies, and then I talk to you. Yes. Yeah. Hey, you'll get something going. Yeah, no, we'll see. I don't know, like the deadhead scene, usually it's not a good chick scene. I've never met chicks at dead shows. Not ones that weren't already with some dude. So I'm just thinking, nah, what the fuck? I'll just listen to music and fucking, I don't know. I don't know. See what goes on. Maybe dance around. I don't know if I want to or not, but we'll see. Try to get there at least. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I saw a story. Uh, welcome back to the Kyle Chaos and Aaron Order show. I'm your host, Aaron Order. And I'm Kyle Chaos. And uh, I thought it was pretty interesting that Ukraine and Zelensky are basically going to ban. Uh, some Russian music in books to de-Russify the country. Okay, that's cheesy as hell. That's so... Zelensky, you're really lame. You know, like, banning this and banning that. This is... This is like the kind of crap the Republicans do. Why the hell do you want to do this shit? Yeah, so they're doing that. And then... I also saw something about, uh, uh, basically that the, what's it called, uh, the president of, uh, Israel is basically stepping down. What? Naftali is stepping down? Yeah. Why? I didn't look into it. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that that's going to be an important one, so... 
Yeah, if we find that, we should go look into that shit. Alright, let's see. We're doing Yahoo today. Right on. Who should have it? Yeah, okay. <laughs> so I thought we were. I thought we were. Uh, uh, oh yeah, we're in. No wait, we're in Google, aren't we? Uh, we only had twenty minutes left to do with that. Okay. Or, or did we start NPR already? Yeah. No, we didn't. Cause. Oh yeah, no, yeah, cause we did Google and NPR, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're starting with NPR then. Are we still, yeah, we'll start with NPR, okay. There's just not much news on NPR. It's weird, it's a Monday, they should be, fuck. Mm. I mean, I don't get it, their radio news is more full of news than their website is. Yeah, I mean, we could go through the first stories, but it's mostly old stories. No, you don't think they've come in up with anything new? Shit, I thought, you know, they would have had a morning edition and a fucking, uh, and a fucking, uh, all things distorted, uh, already. And that's the second story on NPR, Israel's prime minister stepping down, sparking okay, yeah, yeah. a new round of elections. Okay, yeah, let's go into this, because that, that's shocking. He wasn't there for that long. fucking cigar pack open. There we go. Let me see here. Where's this fucking head is? Okay. Alright. Now put this back down. There we go. Okay. Okay. Alright, I'm ready. Okay. most diverse government in history formed for the first time with an Arab political party is disbanding over a disagreement about the future of Jewish settlers in the occupied West Bank. Okay. And what else in the article? Prime Minister Naftali Bennett 
says he will step down after lawmakers hold a vote to dissolve parliament next week. Okay, so they're going to dissolve parliament because they can't uniformly decide what their position is on on, uh, new Jewish settlement. Basically, the, uh... What the fuck are those people called again? Uh... Should I play the Jeopardy theme? I don't know. What's the name of the ethnic group the Jews are oppressing? Like, I can't remember. Oh, the Palestinians. Yeah, then. Okay. Damn, you forgot the Palestinians. Damn, man. And I thought I was the one who was smoking all the weed and shit. You're the one who's been sober for a year and you don't even remember who the Palestinians are. God damn. I was just having a brain fart. Damn, you're you're completely fried out still. More more than me, man. I've smoked a lot more weed than you have, dude. <laughs> yeah, you've been alive longer. True. More years of life, more years to smoke weed. <laughs> more years to fry out my brain, and I still remember who the Palestinians are. Whoa. <laughs> Prime Minister, uh, well, next week, the centrist foreign minister, Yair Lapid, will take over as prime minister. Mm -hmm. Elections are likely to take place in October. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. It will be Israel's fifth round of elections in just over three years. Damn, they they can't decide who they want in power in Israel. And the country's polarizing former leader Benjamin Netanyahu will try to return to power once again. So, yep, he's gonna try. Okay, we might have a reason to use his name uh, when we do our Yahoo section. <laughs> might be able to start singing Benjamin Netanyahu. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Right on, right on. And then we did everything we could to preserve this government, Bennett said, in a live televised address Monday. Believe me, we turned over every stone. In the middle of Bennett's speech, the room suddenly went dark as the lights went out for a moment. Okay. Wow, that's freaky. How symbolic, Lapid said in the microphone. Mm-hmm. Bennett's government collapsed after several lawmakers, mostly his own right-wing Jewish nationalist allies, withdrew their support for the ideologically mixed coalition that included a secular Jewish party and a pro-Palestinian politicians. Right on. Okay. The final straw was when Bennett lost his parliamentary majority and could not whip enough votes to extend legal protections renewed every five years. 
that granted Jewish settlers in the West Bank rights that Palestinians in the territory do not have. Okay, well, that's an understanding why they can't keep a coalition if they're trying to deny a certain group of people rights. It's like, okay, we'll let the Jewish settlers have a certain amount of rights, but we won't let the Palestinians have those rights? That's pretty fucked up. The ability to receive national Israeli health insurance and to practice law and be tried in Israeli civil courts. Yeah, that's pretty screwed up that they're not letting the Palestinians have those rights. Yeah, they're basically doing uh, the Palestinians almost like they're doing the Puerto Ricans here. Mm. Leading human rights groups say this two-tiered legal system for Israeli settlers and Palestinians amounts to apartheid. It is an apartheid, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it probably doesn't you know, go well with, you know, appeasing the Palestinians. Mm-hmm. All right on. Let's hope that uh, the Palestinians get some rights in Israel. Shit. Anyway, uh, what else in the article? Without renewing settler legal protections, Bennett said, Israel will endure heavy security damage and constitutional chaos. That I could not allow. Okay, so he's decided just to disband the party to keep their... their, uh... uh I don't know, to, to at least, to either, I don't, I'm not sure if it's to keep their apartheid system going or if it's to try to figure out what the new system will be to not have an apartheid system if it's possible. So I don't know. I'm not sure what, if, if Naftali wants to keep his apartheid system going or, or what is going on in Naftali's head. Well, the next paragraph pretty much sums it up by dissolving parliament the protections will be frozen in place until three months after a new parliament is elected uh, okay so yeah it's to keep the apartheid system going okay naftali then we know where your head's at bennett said there was urgency to move to avert the accompanying chaos okay i don't know naftali Bennett, uh, I, I think I'd be saying boo Naftali Bennett. You won't let the Palestinians have rights. That's really fucked up. It's like, we can't let the Palestinians have rights. That'll cause a chaos. God damn it. President Biden will be received by the future Prime Minister Yair Lapid on his visit to Israel next month. Our working assumption is still that the trip will go forward as planned, the U.S. Embassy to Israel told NPR in a statement. The upcoming elections will likely focus on the question of Netanyahu's potential return to power and the possibility of future Arab-Jewish political partnership. Okay. While well, this... While this government was one of Israel's shortest to hold to office, it played in historic role, well, a historic role by including an Arab party 
in the coalition and in the decisions made by the national leadership. And therefore paving the way for the possibility of more inclusion by the Arab minority in the political process. And Israeli society as a whole. Said Yohanan Plesner of the nonpartisan Israel Democracy Institute. In a video statement, Netanyahu decried the outgoing government as relying on terror supporters. A slur aimed at the Arab Islamist party that participated in the government. Yeah, well, that's fucked up, okay. Yeah, so you know where fucking Netanyahu stands on all this shit. Well, yeah, of course. The head of that party, Mansour Abbas, said he wished to be kingmaker in the next coalition, too. Right on. Let's hope he gets a chance to be a kingmaker. This is a historic step. It's still on its way. We have only begun, Abbas said. We proved mm-hmm. it is possible. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of the article. Right on. So, whoa, that's, uh, I don't know, we'll, we'll see what happens in uh, Israel. Let's hope they can get another, uh, another Arab party going, and let's, I don't know, we'll see what goes on uh, after this election, what Israel winds up becoming. So, yeah, we'll see what uh, winds up happening. But we know where Naftali Bennett's head's at. He wants to keep the apartheid system going so that in his mind it wouldn't be chaos. But probably just so they could keep persecuting uh, the Palestinians. Texas GOP's new platform says Biden didn't really win. It also calls for secession. Uh, Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Let's go into this. Is that the first article in, in NPR? It's third. What was the first one? How to properly celebrate Juneteenth in the age of commercialization. Okay, no, that might, I mean, because I'm not sure how people celebrate it. Like, uh, I don't know, how do people do that holiday? Because, like, you know, I'm not as much in tune to, I don't, you know, as much, in, I'm not as much in tune to black culture. I guess there was supposed to be a parade somewhere in downtown LA that I heard somebody talk about out here. Well, I think my third phone and I'm still smoking. Anyway, so what's uh, so yeah? What, what are they talking about about how to celebrate Juneteenth? Because I really don't even know how people celebrate. I really am not in touch with that part. Uh, it's a listen. Hey, who the hell that? What's up? How you doing? Well, what's your name? Wait, cool meeting you there. Right on. Okay, where were we? 
We could, anyway, so what? We could cover yeah, the uh, Juneteenth thing when I get back in the apartment. Okay, you're smoking a cigarette right now? Yeah. Okay, well, go smoke your cigarette. I mean, I'll, I'll stay on hold or whatever. And uh, can trip on that on, on all that when you get back, when you're done with your cigarette. smoking your cigarette? No, I'm heading back. Okay, okay. Well, tell me when you're back and we'll, we'll uh, start with this article on however people celebrate Juneteenth, uh, however, how black people celebrate Juneteenth. Yeah. Okay. back in the apartment okay so on this article on how black people celebrate Juneteenth <laughs> yeah okay
How does Juneteenth change as it becomes an institution? An informal celebration is now a federal holiday. It marks the emancipation of enslaved people in Texas after the Civil War. Uh, Anna Gifty uh, Apokowajima thinks a lot about how to She's editor of a book back, called The Black or... Agenda, and yeah. she plans to mark the holiday. Okay, well, I'll, I'll call me back when you're done talking. Okay. All right, peace. All right, peace. What's up, Mr. Boyd? What are you doing, Aaron? Man, I'm just doing the podcast. I know, maybe I couldn't meet it with this chicken either. I don't know. She's like calling me her love and shit, so it's like maybe I should have told her I wanted to be her love or something, but I don't know. I still seem like we're in the opening stages of anything, so it's just like, I don't know. If there is any stage. Do you see her regularly? No, no, it's the first time I've seen her, so I don't know. Or maybe I saw her last year when I was out here, but I don't know. If I saw her last year, she was like this chick's mom. Or like this, not mom, like her, this chick's, this woman's daughter that worked at the donut shop. But if it isn't her, then it's some Russian, because she sounds more like Russian than anything. Like she sounds like she has a Russian accent. I don't know. It's all a trip. All right, ready to continue that uh yeah, listen. story. We we didn't really start it, so. Yeah, that was just a weird conversation with my sort of sponsor. Uh, what's what's going on with him? Yeah, just got high again, but he says he's starting to get his shit together, so... Okay, I don't know. For someone who's getting your shit together, you're doing a lot of relapsing, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> what, was he tweaking again? He seemed like it, but, you know, he said he's been sober for a few days. It's like, I don't know. Okay, I don't know then. Okay. Usually when he's getting high, he doesn't talk much, and he... Because he's usually pretty talkative when he's sober. Yeah, okay. I don't know. It's, it's, uh... I'm just realizing my feet are starting to get swollen. I guess I'm getting dehydrated again. Like, people are noticing. They're like, man, your feet are really bad and swollen. You should call 911. I'm like, fuck you. I'm not calling 911. I was like, went through this last time. Every time I'm on the streets, my feet get swollen, say, get dehydrated and shit. So it's like, fuck it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just got to handle it the way you did last time. Yeah, and I've been, I've been, I think I've been doing good because I've been keeping my shoes off for a few hours every day lately. So I don't think they, you know, at least they're not like, they're not smelly and pussy. You know, they're like swollen, but they're not smelly and pussy so far. So. All right, ready? Yeah. 
how does Juneteenth change as it becomes an institution? An informal celebration is now a federal holiday. It marks the emancipation of enslaved people in Texas after the Civil War. Anna Gifty Opoku Ajiman thinks a lot about how to celebrate. She's editor of a book called The Black Agenda, and she plans to mark the holiday even though she is a daughter of immigrants whose ancestors were not in the United States in 1865. Juneteenth is something that is not necessarily part of the story of all black folks in America, but it's part of black America's story, and I think that is worth celebrating every time. Can I ask a question? Because I imagine it's on the mind of somebody listening. Uh, should white people celebrate this holiday? I think white people should celebrate this holiday in the way that centers black Americans. What I mean by that is if your celebration looks like taking away or speaking over black Americans and how they're choosing to celebrate and how they're choosing to stand in their truth, then I don't think that's actually celebrating alongside black Americans. Just don't interrupt, you know, black folks who are just trying to have a great time. What have you thought about as over time this event has gone from an informal holiday celebrated by some people in some places to an official holiday that is becoming a big deal? You know, I think it's great that, you know, there's aspects of the black American story that are being commemorated in this way. I think that, you know, Dr. Trevon Logan said it best, Juneteenth should remind Americans that emancipation was necessary, but insufficient, right? There needs to be an actual grappling with how racial injustice is still shaping the lives of black Americans and black folks in America by extension today. Is the holiday becoming commercialized? 100%. (laughs) Literally, like, there was, like, a watermelon salad, you know, at a children's museum in commemoration of Juneteenth. I I think the commodification of Juneteenth oftentimes happens in the absence of Black folks actually having a say in how, you know, Juneteenth is commemorated by a company or an organization. I don't think any Black person would say, Please come out with a Juneteenth-flavored ice cream. (laughs) Okay, I'm looking at Walmart, right? Yeah, Walmart came out with a Juneteenth-flavored ice cream. Exactly. So what's wrong with that? Let's put it into words. I mean, why are you taking the celebration of the emancipation of slavery in, you know, certain parts of the U.S. and trying to sell it as a quick, you know, here's something that you can easily digest, literally, right? And I think that that is... That is a problem, because you wouldn't do that with other important American milestones, right? And I think even then, like, there's a level of care that needs to go into that, because the reality is, you know, while Juneteenth is being commodified, Black Americans and Black folks in America are still struggling. So you're making money off of supposed, you know, Black liberation and freedom when that freedom and liberation hasn't been fully realized. Is there something inevitable about this? Christmas is massively commercialized. Easter is massively commercialized. There are all these holidays that are deeply meaningful to millions of individuals that are also an opportunity to make a buck, and sometimes it's the very same people doing both things. What I would say about that is, you know, yes, it's America, so <laughs> commodification and commercialization is inevitable, right? You know, just go to Times Square, for example. I think my whole point around that is organizations that really want to deeply engage with Juneteenth also need to deeply grapple with how racial injustice is sort of taking place in their own organizations. Anna Gifty Opoku Ajiman, the editor of The Black Agenda. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Thoughts, comments.
And uh, she, I think she had some good comments on on, on uh, trying to make sure that it's uh, that it's black people trying to figure trying to celebrate their own holiday, and that that uh, that uh, nobody's trying to commercialize it. I guess I don't know. Uh, I think that's what she's saying. It makes a lot of sense. So yeah, um, I don't know. Where's your head at after this? Yeah, I think the more commercialization, the better. Okay, why does commercialization make anything better? Because I don't think commercialization has made anything better at all. Well, it's basically the concept that, you know, like Santa Claus and uh, the Easter Bunny. At the end of the day, you know, even though those take, take the spotlight slightly off the holiday, you know, it gets people aware of it, you know, like... If you just treat Juneteenth as this low-key, underground, you know, federal holiday, it's like, that kind of does it injustice. Like, people should know, you know, why it's happening. Like, if you got a Juneteenth, you know, ice cream, I'm not complaining about it, because basically... It's going to have a, probably African colors, you know, like usual African colors for different countries and shit like that. So it's like, it's bringing a spotlight to the holiday. Because, like, I was literally talking to my nurse, and she didn't even know why all these nurses took off today and shit. Okay, but that's what I mean. It's like, I didn't understand that. I remember talking about this holiday some point after like real soon after we started the podcast like when we first started the podcast because i was like trying to figure out what it was about and i didn't know what it was about and uh i mean i think it's articles like this that, that put the spotlight on what it's about and that's how people like me that don't know what it's about find out what it's about so i don't know if maybe doing a, a commercial ice cream is the best way to do it but at least doing news articles around every time it happens to talk about why it's happening and what it means, I think is a good way to think, to at least get the message of what the holiday is about. Because at the end of the day, Americans are vastly stupid. You know, a lot of people don't know what the 4th of July actually represents in America. Um... Isn't the 4th of July represent drinking beer and eating barbecue? That's what most people think in America. You know, that was highlighted in the Mark Dice videos where he went out and asked people what different holidays actually represent, and a lot of them couldn't answer the question, you know? I mean, because, like, wasn't it, like, the, the thing when, when uh, on Easter, when the Easter Bunny was crucified and rose from the dead three days later? Uh... And then, uh, what was the other one? Oh, yeah, then, then uh, uh, on Christmas when Santa Claus was born in a manger and, and uh, all that. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And they had no room for him at the end, so so, so uh, Mr. and Mrs. Claude decided to get, give birth to Santa in a... In a, in a, in a, uh, in a uh, <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Okay, okay. Just want to make sure. Okay. See, I'm a stupid American. (laughs) 
It's okay. But right on, right on. So that's cool that they're at least talking about it, and at least now we're starting to understand what it means, because I really, up until maybe a year ago, didn't understand what it meant. Uh, anyway, so let's go to the next article, which was... Okay, we already did the Netanyahu one, right? Yeah. Or the Netanyahu, the Net- Neftali Bennett uh, dissolving the party because he wants to keep the apartheid system uh, fucking up the Palestinians in, in Israel. But okay, uh, let's go to the... What was the article after that? Because I thought there was a really important article after that one. Texas GOP's new platform says Biden didn't really win. It also calls for secession. Okay, well, secession might be a good thing, so that's a really shocking thing for the Republicans to want to do, so right on. Uh, let, let's go into this. I think they're full of shit. They might be full of shit, but that's still pretty ballsy that a group of Republicans would say, we don't want to be a part of the United States of America. We want Texas to be its own country. That's pretty ballsy. That's the thing. They did that when uh, Obama was president. They even had a uh, a petition that people were signing that only got a few hundred thousand signatures. Okay, but it's still ballsy to me. Every time they do it to me, that's ballsy. It's like, we don't want to be a part of America. We want to be our own country. That's pretty ballsy. Nah, it's just talk. It might be, but it's still ballsy talk. And like, I thought it was ballsy when they first did it. Now that they're doing it again, it's just... It's just a, a novelty to me. It might be novelty. You get a point. I mean, the most ballsy people that did it was this group called the People's Republic of Texas back in the early mid-90s. I think they were doing it from like 93 through 96. And uh, I remember at the time I was listening to uh, uh, oh, uh, William Cooper's show, and, and he was talking about uh, about it. I don't think he got along with the people from the organization. He said they were kind of like stuck up to him. But uh, still, like when that was happening, I thought that was the most ballsy thing that any group like that wanted to do. So that was that was pretty cool. I don't know, but yeah, probably now it's just. The Republicans doing something that's more like a novelty, but okay, let, let's go into it. President Biden is the acting president because he didn't win legally. Texans should vote on seceding. The Voting Rights Act of 1965 should be repealed. Any gun okay, control like- is a rights violation. This is okay, the but, world as seen by the Republican Party of Texas, according to its okay. newly adopted party platform. But if the Republican Party of Texas was looking at it in that way, then that means there's a lot of full-on racists in the Republican Party of te- Texas. That's like the neo-Nazis really getting... I mean, that's just like total neo-Nazi. Like, we should really abolish the thing that gave black people the right to vote. That's fucking Nazi. What the fuck? That's fucking crazy. But okay, the Republicans in Texas, I guess there's a lot of Nazis in the Republican uh, Republican Party of Texas. There's a lot of Christians in the Republican Party of Texas, so they got a big anti-abortion 
thing going on, but there's a lot of Nazis in the Republican Party of Texas, so they want to abolish the Voting Rights Act of 1965. That's fucking Nazi. I agree. So, okay. Uh, anyway, what else in the article? We can't compromise with Democrats who have a different and incompatible vision for our future. Matt Rinaldi, the state GOP chairman, said, according to the Texas newsroom, we need to be a bold and unapologetic conservative party, ready to go on offense and win the fight for our country. Okay, but you guys are being like an unapologetic racist party, so it's like, are you going to say, like... Is part of your, your stance saying that you don't like black people and you're not going to apologize for saying that? Like, what the fuck? That's pretty much what they're saying, you know, in code. Okay. Yeah, that's a pretty, that's more than just code there. I mean, when Trump said some of his shit, that was more code than this shit. I mean, this shit is just like saying they don't like black people, like straight out. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, because I don't see how the Voting Rights Act is a danger to our democracy. Yeah, I don't think so either. I I mean, that's just totally racist. That's just totally Nazi. That's just totally KKK shit. Like, what the fuck? Anyway, what else in the article? The Republicans' 2022 platform is outlined in a 40-page document that addresses state issues but also much broader priorities such as calling for the u.s to leave the united nations okay um i'm not sure if we need to do that or not i don't know i've thought different things about i mean mostly when i thought that the united nations was bad was when they were acting as a part of the u.s military but whenever they went against the u.s military i didn't think they were so bad so i don't know if that's really needed back in the 90s i I might i probably agreed with them because i thought the united nations back then was just a part of the u.s military was just an arm of the u.s military but since then i don't think it's so much like that like, the way they, they do their stance on the war in Russia makes me think that shit I thought in the 90s again, but I don't know if I think it that heavy. But okay, well, what else in the article? Convention goers are shown 2,000 mules. Mm-hmm. Organizers screened the film 2,000 mules at least three times according to the convention's program. The film was recently discussed during a January 6th committee hearing when former Attorney General Bill Barr said the film's central premise that electronic location data proved people were used as mules to stuff ballot boxes was just indefensible. Okay. I don't know. I don't know if that's really true, but okay. That's kind of propagandish, I think, but okay. They believe uh, Trump's propaganda. That just, to me, means they're just kind of believing something that's not real. It's just kind of stupid, but okay. Oh. 
GOP calls on Texas to hold a referendum on seceding. Saying the U.S. government has impaired Texas' right of self-government. The platform calls for rejecting any legislation that conflicts with the state's rights. And it suggests leaving the union might be the answer. Okay. That's pretty ballsy, or it could be, like you said, a novelty. But that still sounds ballsy, but okay. Texas retains the right to succeed, will secede from the United States. And the Texas legislature should be called upon to pass a referendum consistent thereto, the platform stated. Uh Deeper in the document, the GOP delegates urge state lawmakers to put a referendum on the agenda for the 2023 election. For the people of Texas to determine whether or not the state of Texas should reassert its status as an independent nation. In Texas, secession is a perennial idea that tends to bloom when a Democratic Democrat holds the Oval Office. After former President Obama won his first term, for instance, the state's governor Rick Perry hinted that Texans might consider exiting the union. Okay. The hot topics include elections and guns. Mm. Not every plank in the platform came with a long explanation. For instance, the Section on Voting Rights Act of 1965, which the Justice Department calls the most successful piece of civil rights legislation ever adopted. Yeah, no, I mean, that's just like the Texas Republicans going... We don't like black people. We're not even going to explain ourselves about that. It's like, okay, you're just fucking ridiculous. We all think you Texas Republicans are just fucking ridiculous KKK Nazis. Okay, you're just stupid. By Congress merely states that the Texas... GOP supports equal suffrage for all United States citizens of voting age. Okay, how would that happen if there wasn't a Voting Rights Act? That kind of doesn't make sense. I kind of don't believe the Texas Republicans when they say that statement. The platform then calls for the 1965 law in its updated forms to be repealed and not reauthorized. That's pretty racist. The Voting Rights Act has returned as a key point of contention in the past decade, as parties argue over election fairness, particularly in areas with histories of discriminating against or suppressing voters of color. Yeah, I'm not buying these Texas Republicans. They they just sound racist. The GOP was more effusive about guns, stating all gun control is a violation of the Second Amendment and our God-given rights. Right on. I agree with the Texas Republicans on that issue. Well, that's a good scene saying in this place. I can freak freely, at least. 
welcome back to the Kyle Chaos and Aaron Order show. I'm your host, Aaron Order. And I'm Kyle Chaos. And then there was one paragraph left in the article. Mm-hmm. Another section declared there shall be no gun-free zones in Texas, a state that recently absorbed one of the worst mass school shootings in U.S. history. The party platform also spoke out against red flag laws and any effort to bar people younger than 21 from buying a gun. Right on. I agree. That's one thing I agree with the Republican Party of Texas is, is uh, their, their stance on gun rights. And that's the end of the article. Okay. So out, outside of their trying to push the tyranny of Jesus and their uh, saying they don't like black people, that, you know, that, that's supposedly the, the fucked up shit about the Republican Party of Texas. But... Like the, they're, you know, they're they're trying to push the tyranny of Jesus, and they're also saying they don't like black people. So that that's what makes the uh, Republican Party of Texas really fucked up. But okay, boo Republican Party of Texas when it comes to that shit. You guys are lame. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's go to the next uh, article. Far-right groups shift focus to LGBTQ events. Their hateful aim hasn't changed. Okay, well, I don't get why these dudes want to focus on this shit so much. I I don't get why they care so much about fucking with the gay people. I mean, I get it. I mean, if you just want to, like, beat the shit out of gay people or kill gay people, then just act like that. But, I mean, it's not like a political thing. They're making just, like, something that people do because they enjoy fucking with somebody like it's a political thing you know and i i just don't get like why these groups want to make a political thing out of fucking with gay people like it doesn't make sense to me it's not fucking with gay people isn't going to make any of us that don't have money have a better life so i don't get what the whole point of it is so okay No, no, but uh, what's in the article? Or do you want to cover this, or where's your head at? Uh, I don't really care, because it seems like it's going to be very biased. It might be the way they sound. I'm just, like, trying to figure out, like, why are these dudes wanting to fuck with gay people so much? Like, why is that so important to them? I don't know. Like, that's... Like, part of me, it's just trying to figure out, what's going on in these dudes' minds? Why is this so fucking important to them? You know? Two incidents in which far-right extremists targeted LGBTQ events earlier this month marked what appeared to be a shift in focus for white supremacist activists. A group of men with ties to the white nationalist Patriot Front was arrested outside a Pride event in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, the same day alleged members of the far-right Proud Boys crashed a children's drag queen storytelling event 
and shouted homophobic and transphobic slurs in what Alameda, California sheriffs are now investigating as a possible hate crime. Okay, wait, so this was in Alameda, California? That's even weirder. It's just like a bunch of... I mean, that's like almost like a bunch of skinheads going, let's go fucking beat up some targets! Like, what the fuck? Have, like... Okay... You're wacky. You're just like wacky skinheads at this point. This is just like wacky skinhead shit. Okay. You're just wacky. Okay. Uh, anyway, what, what else in the article? Earlier iterations of Patriot Front and the Proud Boys were among the neo-Nazi factions who sought to intimidate the Charlottesville, Virginia community at the Unite the Right rally in 2017. Okay. Um, yeah. I didn't know if they were really trying to intimidate people as much. Like, I felt like when I heard the Donald Trump speeches uh, in in uh, 2016, 2017, that was more intimidating to uh, people than even what these lean neo-Nazis were. I mean, I, I think most people just thought these neo-Nazi dudes were just, like, kind of ridiculous. And they were fucked up people, but I think that the, the Trump campaign speeches did more to intimidate people than anything that these neo-Nazis could do. So it's like... The neo-Nazis, like, when they do their shit, I just think it's laughable in a way. But when Trump does it on his everyday, you know, like, when Trump did it in his everyday campaign speeches, that seemed more like the crazy shit more than even what these neo-Nazis did in Charlottesville, North Carolina, to me. You know, it's just like, that just seemed like the crazy shit. Extremism researchers say the far-right activists are seizing on an opportunity of heightened attention around cultures that they have always viewed, seen as a threat to their hateful interests. And the particular events the extremists chose to target that Saturday had in recent weeks drawn negative attention among the far-right online networks that fueled their hate activism. Okay, but that's it. It's like, it's like they're going to go together. Who do we hate? We hate faggots. Okay. Woo. Let's go beat some people up. Woo. You know, it's just like, they're just ridiculous. It's like, I mean, it, it's like, that's, I don't know, like, how many people actually got the shit beaten out of them? None. <laughs> okay, nobody got the shit beaten out of them, so they didn't have to go to jail they were just being ridiculous Nazis, and everybody was like, looks at them and be like, you're a bunch of ridiculous Nazis. And then groups like Patriot Front and the Proud Boys have relied on misogyny and homophobia as a core of their brands, said Devin Burghardt president of the Institute for Research and Education on Human Rights. So it's not okay. surprising to see them step out front in the current moment. 
okay. I don't know. They just seem wacky to me. I think everybody should just like treat them as a huge ass joke because they're just a huge joke. I mean, just like this dude saying his shit back here. He's a, he's a joke. I mean, I get it. He's pissed off about shit. I'm pissed off about the shit that happened to me. You know, I'm pissed off about my fucking charger getting stolen before I left the damn fucking house I was in. But, you know, still, like, acting all, I don't know. It's not going to help me to, 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 I don't know, do anything heavy about it. I mean, outside of, okay, I had to buy another phone. I had to spend another night on the street that I didn't want to have to spend. It's a real pain in the ass getting into a fucking motel the next day. That was really fucked up that they caused me to go through that shit. But okay, I don't get it. I really, you know, a lot of fucked up shit happening, but okay. I don't know. More, more madness. But okay. Now see the end of the article. Okay. Okay, so uh, let's go to the next article. Elise Stefanik's defense of Trump around January 6th clouds her pro-democracy work abroad. Okay, where is the angle on this one? I'm trying to figure this out. It's a seven-minute listen. Okay. Support for NPR comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. One of Donald Trump's biggest defenders and one of the House January 6th committee's biggest critics is Congresswoman Elise Stefanik from upstate New York. This is not a serious investigation. This is a partisan political witch hunt. But her defense of Trump includes spreading false conspiracy theories about the 2020 election. And that's complicated things for a congressionally funded organization she works with to promote democracy abroad. Joining us now is Zach Hirsch of North Country Public Radio. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. So tell us more about Stefanik's work promoting democracy abroad. Yeah, Stefanik has spent a lot of her career working with groups that support free and fair elections abroad. Right now, she's on the board of directors at the National Endowment for Democracy. That group embodies all the values the United States traditionally stands for. Congress appropriates the money, and the endowment writes grants to help activists and civil society groups in countries with autocratic leaders. Stefanik was chosen for the board in early 2019, but her politics changed. And now some people who work at the endowment are telling me there's this person undermining their mission and harming their work from the inside. Because of what she's been saying about the attack on the Capitol? Yeah, this is a pro-democracy group, and Stefanik questioned the legitimacy of a U.S. presidential election. She spread a ton of misinformation about 2020. Here she is speaking last year on January 4th, two days before the U.S. Capitol riot. Tens of millions of Americans are rightly concerned that the 2020 election featured unprecedented voting irregularities, unconstitutional overreach by unelected state officials and judges ignoring state election laws, and a fundamental lack of ballot integrity and ballot security. And we should say very clearly here that none of what she said is actually true. 
Right. Election experts say this was the most carefully watched election in American history. Both Republican and Democratic officials across the country oversaw it and never found any evidence of widespread fraud or irregularities. But Stefanik amplified this stuff, and on January 6th, she voted against certifying Biden's win in Pennsylvania. At the National Endowment for Democracy, a lot of people on staff were livid. One staffer said the endowment's values were, quote, totally undermined and mocked by their own board member. Some started calling for her to be removed from the organization. More than 60 people signed a letter to that effect from a staff of over 200. And how did the endowment respond to these really serious concerns? They had internal meetings, which got pretty heated, and they put out a statement about January 6th saying the endowment is, quote, appalled by the violent and seditious assault on the Capitol, but they decided not to remove Stefanik. Mm. The leadership declined to comment on this story, but I did speak with staff members who were there for those meetings after January 6th. They were told the endowment is bipartisan and it cannot get dragged into domestic politics. Their funding has come under threat in the past, most recently during the Trump administration, but they've had consistent backing from both Republicans and Democrats in Congress, and they want to keep it that way. Staffers were also told that Stefanik supports their work abroad, that she's an ally for them, which raises interesting questions, right? How can you be pro-democracy overseas and take pretty brazen anti-democratic actions here at home? It's hard to square those two things. Yeah, absolutely. Has Stefanik's role at the endowment changed at all then since January 6th? As far as I can tell, her role has not changed. In fact, about 10 months after the Capitol riot, she was on stage at an endowment event honoring a group of human rights activists. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Senator. Uh, and thank you to President Damon Wilson and everyone at the National Endowment for Democracy for your critical work supporting U.S. foreign policy by promoting and strengthening democracy around the world. She presented a democracy award to a group called Nicaragua Nunca Mas. Around that same time, her campaign was running ads accusing Democrats of colluding with immigrants to stage a, quote, permanent election insurrection. But when her position on the board expired in January of this year, she was renewed for another term. Wow. Now, has Elise Stefanik said anything about these concerns about her position? We reached out and she did not respond. Uh, her office did respond to a related story last year, though. A spokesperson told Politico that Stefanik was, quote, proud to have one of the strongest records in the House supporting and leading bipartisan efforts to fund the endowment and the mission of supporting and strengthening democratic institutions around the world. Now, you did speak with people at the endowment who felt she's undermining their work. What did they say? Yeah, I spoke with several people who felt that way. They didn't want to give their names because they weren't authorized to speak to the media and could lose their jobs for doing so. They said Stefanik was part of an attempt to overturn an election. And one person said, quote, it's hard to think of anything more fundamental to the issues we care about. A lot of the staffers I spoke with were sympathetic to the leadership's point that funding has been at risk in the past and could easily be jeopardized again. But they wanted more transparency on the decision to embrace Stefanik. And they wanted to know how the endowment might react to attacks on American democracy in the future. Now, you've been covering Stefanik since 2015, and earlier you said that her politics changed. What do you make of her political transformation? 
The shift has been remarkable. When she won her first term at age 30, Stefanik was the youngest woman ever elected to Congress. She was known as a principled, hard worker, Harvard-educated, someone who worked with Democrats on all kinds of issues. She seemed very interested in the idea of strengthening democracy in her work at the Foreign Policy Initiative, a think tank, and at Harvard's Institute of Politics. By the way, unlike the endowment, Harvard did remove Stefanik from her advisory role after January 6. Oh. Stefanik accused the university of, quote, bowing to the woke far-left mob. Now, this story about the endowment and Stefanik's connection to the endowment, it raises bigger questions, right, about this moment in the U.S. Talk about that a little bit. Well, things are really polarized right now. One thing I wanted to know as I was reporting the story was, when it comes to democracy, does that transcend partisanship? Does there come a point when even a bipartisan, politically neutral group like the endowment has to draw some kind of line? And I think it's fair to say that a lot of institutions are grappling with this. I spoke about this with Charles Stewart III. He's a political science professor at MIT. These are tough issues, and I think we're all trying to figure out is bipartisanship possible these days? You know, a year from now, two years from now, we could be longing for the day when the biggest worry we had was with the Stefanik on the National Endowment of Democracy Board. It appears the endowment believes bipartisanship is still possible. Stefanik is one of 30 board members. They've indicated they want to include politicians of all stripes as they make decisions and write grants, even someone who votes to overturn an election. Zach Hirsch is a freelance reporter covering democracy and misinformation for North Country Public Radio. Thank you, Zach. Thank you. Okay, yeah, I mean, I kind of, that is kind of a mixing of things. Like, if you're, if you're saying you're pro-democracy in, in the, you know, in other countries, but then when an election happens, you're saying, when someone truly won the election that they didn't win the election, that doesn't sound like you're being pro-democracy. But then at the same time, when she's considering that uh, the, the people that said that Biden won the election were part of the woke agenda, I mean, I don't think there's anything woke about standing for either Trump or Biden. You know, it's like... Biden is just another person that's out to fuck over people that don't have money. I don't consider supporting Biden being woke. I don't consider, definitely don't consider supporting Trump being woke, but I don't think supporting Biden is being woke either. Because that's like somebody's out to fuck over poor people and somebody is out to fuck over black and Latino people. I don't think there's nothing uh, woke about supporting a major party president that's just keeping the corporate agenda going. So, I don't know. Eh, I think Biden's 50% woke. I don't think there's any real wokeness in Biden at all. Like, he's just his mouth, you know, like, lip service. Outside of, you know, just giving lip service, I don't think Biden is that woke of a person. I don't think he's an example of what woke is. I think that's just kind of ridiculous. Well, he's stopping the oil in America. That's pretty woke. Okay. You know, that is pretty woke. That is a ballsy... Biden has done some ballsy things. 
but overall, Biden is not a ballsy person. You know, he basically has said that Border Patrol is not allowed to stop migrants on walls and waterways. Okay, that's pretty ballsy, too. He's done some good shit. I don't think he's a totally woke candidate, but he has done some good shit. That's why I said he's 50% woke. the good shit that he's done. He has at least stopped messing with Mexican people as much. That's good. He stopped, uh, uh, what was the other thing you mentioned? Uh, there's one other thing you mentioned that Biden did that I think is good that Biden did it. I just said the, uh, border shit and then, uh, the oil shit. Okay, and and he's trying to get us off of oil. I think that's a good thing. So, like, those are two things that Biden's doing that is pretty ballsy and is pretty woke. But overall, I don't think Biden is a woke candidate. (laughs) He does some things that are pretty ballsy, and I honor Biden on the things that he's done that have been good for people that don't have money. That's why I said he's 50% woke. Okay, maybe you're right. Okay, maybe he's 50... I'd say it's more like 25% woke, not really 50% woke. I can give you that. Okay. That's all the news stories. Oh, from NPR? Yeah. Wow, I'm surprised they didn't have that much. Damn, it was like... Damn, their their radio news is so much better than their website. Their website sucks compared to their radio news. I mean, when I had a radio, like... I heard a lot better stories on their radio news than I've ever heard from when we had looked at their website. Ready to go to Yahoo? Yeah, let's go to Yahoo. Teacher on carrying a gun. I would leave the profession. Okay. Um, where's your head at on this story? Self-explanatory. Okay, yeah, let's go to the next story. That's kind of where my head's at. January 6th hearings. What's resonating with the public? Okay, yeah, let's go into this. Looks like it's a video. Okay. Hi 
got you. Got mosquitoes? Don't call any pro. Call the Orkin Pro. With over 120 years of experience, nobody's better. Orkin, the best in pests. Former President Trump spent the weekend repeating the same lies that are now the focus of the January 6th committee hearings. At events in Tennessee and Mississippi, he argued without evidence that the 2020 election was stolen. He also attacked his former Vice President Mike Pence again. Scott McFarland is on Capitol Hill. Scott, good morning. We understand that there are two more public hearings this week. And a good morning. They're scheduled for Tuesday and Thursday, but the focus is shifting. After showing the pressure campaign from former President Trump on then Vice President Mike Pence last week, this week the January 6th committee says it is focusing on Trump's pressing of local election officials to overturn the 2020 election. Four days before the attack on the Capitol, former President Trump tried to pressure the man who administers elections in Georgia to change the results. Yeah, this is old shit. Let's just read the article. Okay, yeah, yeah. It kind of sounds like old shit, too, to me so far. So they're, 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 they're focusing on the same old shit that they focused on, like, right after the election happened. But okay, this is, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know if they can really have much to pin on Trump here, but okay. But okay, let's, uh, yeah, let, let's go, at least uh, read the article part of it. By the numbers, the January 6th committee hearings attracted 20 million live viewers on opening night, 11 million for the first daytime session, and nearly 9 million for Thursday's third installment. So basically, they're losing viewers by the millions every time they do it. Yet those traditional Nielsen company yardsticks don't begin to measure the true reach of what is being said there. Mm-hmm. Memorable moments from each hearing are sliced for quick consumption on countless news programs, comedy shows, and online, to the point where some have been seen more times later than when they were live. Mm-hmm. In many respects, it's the first congressional hearing in memory that seems specifically designed with modern media needs in mind, said Jeff Jarvis, a City University of New York journalism professor and frequent blogger on the media. Mm-hmm. That was already worked. He said, while it's impossible to know what, if anything, covered in the initial stages of the hearing will stick much beyond the week's news, there are already breakout moments and characters. Mm-hmm. Giuliani and alcohol. Okay. Receiving wide circulation snippets where President Donald Trump's former political director, Bill Stepien, aide Jason Miller, and committee member Liz Cheney say that lawyer Rudy Giuliani had too much to drink before advising Trump on election night 2020. Like, that fucking matters. Yeah, I don't get it either. Hours after the allegation had been made, the clips were featured in the monologues of top-rated late-night comics 
Stephen Colbert and Jimmy Kimmel. The shows are typically seen by a combined audience of nearly 5 million people each night, with many more people watching online the next morning. Kimmel accompanied it with a film package of times when Giuliani acted oddly in defense of Trump. Okay. The episode resonated in part because it was a connectable moment in an otherwise very serious story, said Robert Thompson, director of Syracuse University's Blear Center for Television and Popular Culture. Having people who are major figures in a national political setting outed for being wasted is something that people can find immediately understandable, Thompson said. Okay, I mean, I don't really need, does anybody really care? I mean, it's like, funny, but, you know, like, outside of that, who cares? <laughs> Former Attorney General William Barr's recorded testimony that he found Trump detached from reality with some of his claims about election fraud was the lead in several news stories about Monday's hearing. It was a vivid and disturbing image of a former president from the man who ran Trump's Justice Department. The ABC, CBS, and NBC evening newscasts that night all featured the clip of Barr's comment. And together, the three programs typically reach more than 20 million viewers, or double the amount of people who saw the hearing live. There's no count of how many times it was repeated on cable news or estimate of how many people saw it that way. Two anecdotal examples illustrate the extent to which it was seen online. A clip of the moment posted by Reuters on Facebook was watched 900,000 times. And the clip posted on the New York Times Instagram account was seen 400,000 times. Daughter and son-in-law filmed testimony from Ivanka Trump and her husband, Jared Kushner, has been particularly potent, in large part simply because they come from the family of a man who prizes loyalty. A clip of Ivanka Trump saying she trusted Barr's assessment of the fraud allegations amassed more than 1.6 million views in an Instagram post published by The Shade Room, a media outlet that focuses on celebrity entertainment, and 1 million when Bloomberg shared it on Twitter. Twitter posts of the video uploaded by MSNBC and the committee itself got more than 900,000 views together. A video of her recollection of a phone call her father made to Vice President Mike Pence 
on the morning of January 6, 2021 was shown on each of the three evening newscasts on Thursday, sometimes accompanied by the colorful descriptions of his language. Kushner's halting response when asked about what he said to his father-in-law about Giuliani as if he was weighing in real time what it meant to be under oath became fodder for jokes. Okay. Um, what else in the article? New star, previously little-known former White House attorney Eric Hirschman has become a breakout star this past week for his film testimony concerning his conversations with John Eastman, architect of Trump's failed maneuvering to hold on to power. Editing his own colorful language, Hirschman recalls saying, Are you out of your effing mind? When Eastman talks the day after the Capitol riot about a potential appeal of Georgia's election results. George. Oh, Georgia's. Okay, got it. Okay, yeah. Like a stern parent, he tells Eastman that the only words he wants to hear from him are orderly transition and advises him to get a great effing criminal defense lawyer. You're going to need it. Okay. Recognizing the testimony's potential impact, Cheney released it on Twitter the day before it was prominently featured in the hearing, giving it extra attention. That also served to highlight the committee's finding that Eastman had unsuccessfully sought a presidential pardon. Okay. Politico even did a story on the art hanging on the wall behind Hirschman during his testimony. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of the article. Okay. Can you say nothing burger? Yeah, I kind of think this is a nothing burger. I mean, this is like, I don't think this is gonna that much to pin on Trump. I don't know. I mean, maybe there is, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it's that heavy. Like, none of this is blowing my mind. I mean, maybe Bill Maher knows gets more shit than I get, but this is not blowing my mind. Nope. Mm-hmm. With Roe about to end high-risk pregnancies, a worry. Okay, right on. So yeah, let's, let's uh, go into this. You don't think that's self-explanatory? Okay, no, I mean, it might be self-explanatory. I mean, I'm just trying to think. Uh, you know, part of me is just going, okay, the people that are worried about the abortion rights being taken away, like, what kind of things are they worried about? I think we've heard that a thousand times. 
Okay, now you're right, you're right. Okay, yeah, let's go to the next article. VP Harris makes surprise trip to museum for Juneteenth. Who's JP Harris? Kamala Harris. Oh, Kamala Harris's uh, husband? No, VP Harris. Oh, VP. Oh, okay. Kamala Harris. So, Kamala Harris shows up at a Juneteenth uh, thing. That sounds like a photo op for her. Uh, I don't know. Does she say anything or. Looks like we got a video. Okay, let, let, let's uh, watch the video for. just her and her husband, you know, did that and, uh, you know, shook some kids' heads, surprisingly with no masks on. Okay. That wasn't I couldn't hear what she was saying. The sound just sounded really bad. Yeah, it didn't have good audio saying? quality. Yeah, no, that just, that sounded like really bad sound. I couldn't tell what the hell she was saying. But okay, right on. Uh, they got an excerpt of what she said. Okay, well, yeah, what did she say? Today like, is a day to celebrate the principle of freedom and think about it in terms of the context of history, knowing that black people in America were not free for 400 years of slavery. But then okay. at the end of slavery, right? When the Emancipation Proclamation happened, that America had to really think about defining freedom. Mm -hmm. I would argue it is our God-given right to have freedom. It is your birthright to have freedom. And then during slavery, freedom was taken. And so we're not going to celebrate being given back what God gave us anyway. Mm -hmm. That's a good, good statement. As the group voiced agreement, one person saying amen. Right on. She continued, let this be a day that is a day to celebrate the principle of freedom, but to speak about it honestly and accurately, both in the context of history and current application. That's what I'm thinking about today. Okay. And that's all that she said. 
Okay, right on. That sounds good. It made sense. Did a good speech. Okay, cool. Uh, should we go to the next article? Yeah. It's not easy. Kamala gets candid in rare interview. Okay. That might be interesting. <laughs> I mean, looking at one of the people that's overall out to fuck us over, uh, and how she's talking about shit, that, uh, well, I'm kind of interested. Not Kamala, Camilla, the Duchess of Cornwall, gives rare interview about her life with Prince Charles. Oh, okay, okay, eh, okay, yeah, who cares, I mean, she's not, she's not the political dude that, that Prince Charles is, so who cares? That's just human interest story. Yeah, let's go to the next article. What parents should know about kids' COVID shots. I wouldn't trust Yahoo to tell me the truth about it in the first place, so no, I, I'm, we'll skip that. That sounds like propaganda. <laughs> Zelensky makes prediction as EU sets to move on Ukraine. Yeah. I predict that some Russian tanks will be exploding. <laughs> okay, well, what's in the article? Let's see how much of a prophet uh, Lezinski is. Or Walensky is. W Walensky, I guess. Or Zelensky. How much of a prophet is Zelensky? Looks like it's another video. Okay, that's why she's real. States will provide an additional one billion dollars uh, security assistance package. Yeah, that's just Lloyd Austin saying they're giving Ukraine money. That's okay, so that's pretty important. How much money are they giving Ukraine now? Uh, just what they? Yeah, we already covered it. Okay, okay, yeah, we covered it then. Okay, should we go to the next article? They got article. What? They got an article besides the video that's not about the article. Okay, so what's this article about? Russian forces captured territory along a frontline river in eastern Ukraine and intensified pressure on two key cities on Monday after uh, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky predi predicted Moscow would escalate attacks ahead of the EU summit. Expected to welcome Kiv's bid to join the bloc. Okay, so, uh, I believe there will be explosions in, in uh, what, what part of Ukraine, Ukraine is it? Donbass. I believe that the Donbasses are going to, to, to have more explosions. I'm sorry my country is so full of so many Donbasses, but, uh, 
the Doom Masters are going to have more explosions pretty soon. I predict. <sighs> the governor of Ukraine's Luhansk region, scene of the heaviest Russian onslaughts in recent weeks, said the situation was extremely difficult along the entire front line there as of Monday evening. Mm -hmm. Okay. The Russian army has accumulated sufficient amount of reserve to begin a large-scale offensive. The governor, Serhii Gadai, said on Ukrainian television. Okay. Uh, what else in the article? You there? Yeah. Okay, so what else in the article? Trying to skip the shit that we haven't read yet. Okay, so what what haven't we read yet? Okay. Breathe in. Breathe out. He Breathe said in. Russian forces controlled most of the city, severe Donetsk, apart from the Azot chemical plant where hundreds of civilians have been sheltering for weeks. Mm -hmm. And the road connecting Severodonetsk and its sister city Lysychansk to the city of Bakhmut was mm -hmm. under constant shell fire. Mm -hmm. Lysychansk has been suffering from massive Russian shelling all day. It is impossible to establish the number of casualties as of yet. Guy Dai said, adding that the shelling has been perhaps the heaviest the city has yet experienced. Right Even so, the Russians had yet to complete an encirclement of Ukrainian forces who were inflicting significant losses on them, he said. Uh, Moscow separatist proxies claim to have captured Toshkivka, a town on the mostly Ukrainian-held western bank of the Siversky Donets River south of Severodonetsk which has become the main battlefield city in recent weeks. Gadai earlier acknowledged that a Russian attack on Toshkivka had had a degree of success and said Russian forces were also trying to gain a foothold near Ostinovka, a village further north along the river. They were bringing a huge amount of heavy equipment there, including tanks, he said. Tanks for the memories. He confirmed Russia's claim to have captured Metilkine. 
on Sunday in his customary nighttime video address to the nation. Zelensky said an intensification of Russian attacks was to be expected this week. Damn. We are preparing, we are ready, he said. Mm-hmm. At a summit on Thursday and Friday, European Union leaders are expected to give their blessing to Ukraine becoming an official candidate to join a decision that will be marked as a triumph in Kyiv. Okay. I think that's very likely it would happen, U.S. President Joe Biden told reporters when asked on Monday if he felt Ukraine would become an EU member. Okay. I don't know why you want to join the EU so bad, you're just fucking over your own country, Zelensky, but okay. You're just taking away your own, uh, your own, uh, sovereignty. That's really dumb. Ukraine applied for EU membership just four days after Russia's February 24th invasion. Though membership would take years to attain, for the EU to reach deep into the heart of the Soviet Union, well, the former Soviet Union would bring about one of Europe's biggest economic and social transformation since the Cold War. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if that'll be good or bad for, for uh, those countries. I don't know. That's the end of the article. Okay. Well, I guess Russia's, uh, I guess the Ukrainians are trying to kick some Russian ass and Russians are fucking with Ukraine and still comes down to that we shouldn't be funding, uh, we shouldn't be arming the Ukraine, we shouldn't be funding the Ukraine, shouldn't be doing the sanctions on Russia, we gotta stop fighting this, uh, this, uh, uh, interventionist war that's just, and funding this interventionist war that's just helping rich people get richer, and we gotta stop being the cops of the world. Anyway, so let's go to the next uh, article. Far right sends shockwaves in France after election. We covered that yesterday. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, we covered that. Okay. Yeah, so let's go to the next one. We were just American people tired and pissed off. Okay, what's this about? Or I, I guess we should go into this article. What, what does it say? It's just about the January six riders. Well, no, no. That's a, if if it's gonna give their point of view, then that might be a good thing. I, I want to hear their their story. If they're really gonna give their story, because these are the people that are getting you know the prison sentences and the fines and all that shit. Like I don't think their story is being really told enough in the news and it really needs to be 
it's not really a new point of view. It's just saying storming the Capitol made sense to the rioters. Well, it makes it made sense to me at that you know in a, in a way. So it's like I want to hear these dudes' perspectives, you know, because it's something we don't hear enough of. Like the Fox people aren't even giving their perspective, really. They're not interviewing the people that are that were that like got fucked with and gone to prison and that have paid the fine. Like none of those people are even getting interviewed on Fox or Newsmax or any of the Republican channels. The January 6th committee has woven through each of its public hearings. The voices of actual rioters from that day seeking to draw a direct tie between the violence at the Capitol and what was happening behind the scenes at the White House. But the rioters themselves haven't been circumspect about what made them travel, in some cases hundreds of miles, to Washington, D.C. for a rally that day and then march on the Capitol, which hundreds of them entered. In interviews and court proceedings, they've been clear. They believed Donald Trump when he told them the election had been stolen. They believed it was their duty to try to help keep him in office, which in their eyes was essential in effort to save the democracy. Okay. I mean, I can see... I don't see why they would think that Trump would really help them that much, but I could see why they're like, after what the Democrats did with the lockdown, why they're thinking, we're going to be a socialist country if he doesn't win, if he doesn't get in office. Because that's really the way it felt to me like that whole time. Like, we had become a socialist country. There was no way to get out of it. My life was complete shit at that point. And I'm like, there's no way my life is ever going to... I didn't think I'd be able to have a chance to be out in the street uh, in July of 2021. And that was bumming the shit out of me. And it's like... I I really felt like we'd become a total socialist country and my chance of having a good life was completely gonzo... Just gonzo. None of this article says they cared about the lockdowns. Okay, they might not have said it, but I'm I'm still... I think they're giving a good narrative. So, like, so far, it was a good narrative. So, anyway, uh, what else in the article? We were just American people tired and pissed off of the fact that we felt our election was stolen. One writer told NBC News in an interview, we were just regular pissed off Americans. Okay. For this person who entered the Capitol that day, participation has come at a heavy cost. A trip to jail, thousands of dollars in legal fees, the loss of jobs, and still the risk of prison time. See, I mean, I think that would make you even more pissed off because you fought for what you believed in. Now you're going to jail. You lost your job. That would give you more of a reason to be pissed off. NBC News allowed this writer to speak without disclosing a name or other identifying traits and has used pronouns that do not reveal gender because this case remains in the legal system. 
and such anonymity allows this writer to speak more openly about their reasons for attending the rally and storming the Capitol that day. Okay. None of the legal consequences or subsequent revelations about the election has caused their support for Donald Trump to wane. They still believe the 2020 election was stolen, and they said they would come to Washington again if given the option to do so. Right on. Yeah, I mean, this is a, this is a narrative you're not even hearing on Fox News or Newsmax. Like, these people's stories aren't getting out in the press. It's a story that's pretty much been told. Either they stuck to their guns or they shilled. But I don't think it was told that much. I Like, in the news in L.A., I didn't hear much of it. I just remember like, when we the... covered it with uh, QAnon Shaman and guys like that who basically said they were sorry and they were misled by Trump or people that... Yeah, I know, but... Stuck these to are their people guns that aren't like sorry. This but this is what I like about this story. These are people that aren't sorry. They're like, we thought what we were doing was the right thing. We lost our jobs. We went to jail. We paid huge amounts of, of money and fines. And they feel good about what they did. And it's, you're not hearing this narrative anywhere. Mm, I remember that view being covered. Okay, well, I didn't hear it that much. I mean, maybe you heard it on 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 uh, 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 what 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 was it uh, on uh, Infowars? But I wasn't like even the Republican talk shows weren't giving those people's narratives any coverage. I remember a white blonde lady who had that perspective that you know she wasn't wrong and. You know, I don't remember her name, but it was pretty early on when they first started throwing people in jail, and she was spending, like, uh, like they were saying that they shouldn't be held in a general population with the rest of the criminals and shit like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you must have heard it on InfoWars or something, because I wasn't hearing it either. I was tuning the radio dial when this shit was happening, I wasn't hearing shit. Tell you we both covered it. You don't remember. Okay. I don't know. To me, this is something that I don't remember hearing when we did our show. But uh... it's not an unusual story. Most writers who have spoken in court, either at appearances or through filings said they were inspired by Trump and their belief that the 2020 presidential election was stolen. Okay. Of those who have been charged, most came to the Capitol from the Trump rally that was held that same day near the White House. Only blocks away, many were dressed in MAGA gear. They shouted pro-Trump chants and stopped the steal a Trump slogan. Okay. January sixth is, is is being used for for the uh, Nick Caruso campaign, you know, talking about the smashing grab robberies, <laughs> and for the uh, campaign in the campaign to remove uh, to recall uh, uh, what do you call it to, to recall uh, 
Bodine in San Francisco or Boudin in San Francisco and to recall uh, 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 George Gascon <laughs> referring to the smash and grab robberies they can use the same stop the steal slogans <laughs> even though I'm against what those dudes are doing but <laughs> but I don't think Trump won the election either so I don't know <laughs> the slogans can be reused though <laughs> January 6th, riot defendants have lost jobs, money, their freedom, and even spouses because of their decision to storm the Capitol, but many remain adamant in their belief that the election was stolen. Welcome back to the Kyle Chaos and Aaron Order Show. I'm your host, Aaron Order. Okay, uh, what are we doing right now? Yeah, I just wanted to finish this and then call it a day. Okay, okay, so yeah, let's go, let's go with more of this article. Uh, so I guess we'll call this segment more of what happened of interviews with people that were in the January 6th uh, thing. Uh, I don't know. I'm not really sure, Sirica said, when asked if he wished he stayed out of the building. It might make a good story in like 50 years when I am a grandfather. While some writers who've been charged like Sirica didn't necessarily plan on entering the Capitol before they heard Trump's speech on January 6th, plenty of others have said they knew of plans to enter the Capitol ahead of time. Kenneth Rader, who pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor charge this month, admitted in court documents that he shared an image with 40 Facebook friends that read Operation Occupy the Capitol January 6, 2021, and wrote that Trump supporters were going to remove the corrupt politicians and take our country back. I will not stand by and let this go unanswered. Thomas Baranyi, who emerged from the Capitol building with the blood of fellow rioter Ashley Bobbitt dripping from his hands, spelled out his intent in a video on January 6th that was played at his sentencing hearing. We tore through the scaffolding through flashbangs and tear gas and blitzed our way in through all the chambers, just trying to get into Congress or whoever we could get into and tell them what we need some kind of investigation into this, he said. He pleaded guilty to a charge of entering and remaining in a restricted building or grounds and was sentenced to 90 days in federal prison on Friday. Another woman was incredulous when asked by a reporter on January 6th why she tried to storm the Capitol building, crying about being sprayed in the face with mace. Right on. We're storming the Capitol, she said in a video that was posted on Twitter explaining why she tried to go inside. It's a revolution. Mm -hmm. 
Other rioters believe that Trump himself would support their actions. As rioters said they were invited by the president and told police that the president wanted them to do what they were doing. I bet Trump would pardon anybody who gets arrested for going in there, Derek Evans, the West Virginia lawmaker who stormed the Capitol while filming himself. He shouted, Derek Evans is in the Capitol. In the well, video. That would be if he would have become president, but he wasn't president anymore, so it wouldn't have mattered what Trump would have done. Shit. He pleaded guilty to a felony civil disorder charge and is scheduled to be sentenced this week. Okay. Interviews with rioters on the steps of the Capitol on January 6th also illustrated their intent. Okay. They tried to steal the election. It's an attack on the country, one man told an interviewer who hosts the YouTube program, barely informed with Elad on the stairs of the Capitol. Okay. The interviewer asked the man whether he thought the election was stolen. 100%, he replied. One man in a helmet and goggles who was carrying a shield says on the video, Mail-in fraud. You stole it from me. Four more years, four more years. The man later identified as Keen Brian Lazo was arrested and pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor earlier this year. Uh. Ryan Nichols, who was visible in the footage shown by the January 6th committee on Thursday, pleaded not guilty and is being held in detention before his trial. A judge ruled Nichols was a threat based on evidence that included a throw of videos, including some in which he appears to confess to fighting at the Capitol. Filmed himself threatening violence on his way to the Capitol and then explained the reason he committed violence. Okay. So yesterday, Ryan Nichols, Ryan Nichols, he says in the video, speaking in third person, adding that he grabbed his weapon and he stormed the Capitol and he fought. He goes on to say he fought for freedom and election integrity. I fought. And that's the end of the article. Right on. I just think it's good to hear these people's stories. They're stuck. I wasn't hearing their stories anywhere on the radio uh, when I was uh, when this was happening. So it's good to hear their stories. Um, so uh, I guess tune in next time when we hear more about how we're being screwed with and how we're trying to stop ourselves from being screwed with. I don't know. Were there any stories about us stopping ourselves from being screwed with, or was it all us being screwed with? <laughs> uh, nah, not besides the Juneteenth shit. Yeah, so right on. So a lot, we're still being screwed with a lot uh, in this month of June. This month has been a huge month of us being screwed with by... 
both the Republicans and the Democrats. Yep, yep, yep. Alright, get out of here, you hippies. It's hippies Galen. Alright, peace. Audi. Peace, Audi.
crap is the See why that trick was ducking me. I bet you were ducking me. I got to be fluff out, baby. Got to fluff her beat. I bet you were ducking me. Oh, shit. I forgot to turn. 